It's time for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teolos. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter, at Pinball Profile. Email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. We go to Arizona, which is always lovely. In fact, I wish I could go there maybe in a few more months when it gets a little cold here. But let's go talk to Olivia and Katie Helm right now. Hi, how are you? Great. Good. How are you doing? It is good to talk to both of you because I've seen you in the news a little bit lately. If you're a regular at the Phoenix Bells and Chimes, you will see both Olivia and Katie playing there. How important is Bells and Chimes to you? I'll start with you, Olivia. Yeah, so it was really my gateway drug into competitive pinball. It was a safe place to dip my toe in the water and see how I like playing in a group setting with all the other ladies and it's been great fun. We've had lots of different venues, uh, introduced me to a lot of the community and uh, really got me going in uh, trying to get into tournaments almost every week now. Katie, are you just as competitive or is it about the competition? Is it about hanging out with great people? Yeah, no, so I'm not competitive pretty much at all. I go totally for the social side of it so we couldn't be a whole lot different in that regard. I love getting out and hanging out with the ladies spending time in the hobby, meeting different people that host events and seeing the machines they have. And, you know, as pretty much everyone will attest to, I also love the machines. They need help sometimes, and I'm usually the first one to roll up my sleeves and get in there and get dirty right in the middle of a tournament if I have to. And that, to me, is a huge amount of fun. I am so envious. Anybody who knows me knows I can't fix a darn thing, and you do a lot of that. We will get to that as we talk about Outpost Cordelia in just a moment. But you mentioned with Bells and Chimes, the Phoenix chapter, uh, you go to different host events. So how many different hosts are there in the Phoenix area? So we've had probably three or four commercial venues, and I think this year we've had five different private collections, including our own, of uh, machines anywhere from you know, 8 to 16 machines in a home. So, you know, it varies from the couple years that we've been doing it, but there's a number of uh, private collectors here with pretty good-sized collections that are great for competition because they they often cross all eras. So we'll get, you know, EM, we'll get solid-state, DMD, modern, often all in the same competition. Isn't that the best, too, when you have that nice variety and, and you get to see all the different eras? I also enjoy that, too, when I go to a private collection. Is there an era you prefer, Katie? Uh, I'm definitely a fan of the solid states. They're the most, I guess, straightforward in terms of rule sets. And as a non-competitive player, you know, I don't really want to have to stop and think about all the different ways I can get points to pile up. I just want to play them for fun. And for me, that's the era that really was just about, you know, clean straightforward pinball action. I find leagues, and I assume bells and chimes is similar to that. When you're first playing a game, you might not know what to do. So I have my hand up. I'm like, tell me what to do. What do I do when I'm on the right flipper? What do I do on the left flipper? And when you talk about solid states, it's a lot easier to explain that. What is the mix as far as women competing for points and those just there for the casual and social aspect? I would say it's a pretty good blend of both at all times and one of the things that I think is really particularly great about the Bells and this is something you know Tracy Lindbergh who runs our local uh, Bells group is always emphasizing at the beginning of any tournament is that we're all here to learn we're all here to help each other and it's about getting better not just competing so it's encouraged before you start a game anyone who knows anything about it will do their best to get everyone else up to speed on the things they need to know about it. Which especially, you know, when you're playing at different venues all the time, as opposed to one fixed venue, you end up seeing a lot of different games that people may have never played. And so it's really great 
to have that sense of helping each other achieve more rather than just purely competing. We're very helpful with each other as far as the rules go. In fact, I can think of one time at the last competition, I was in the middle of my ball on NASCAR, and there was a Gottlieb Vegas next to us, and someone was asking how to play, and I basically, in the middle of my ball, said, it's that loop, you want to keep repeating that loop, and Tracy's like, concentrate on your ball, shut up. <laughs> so, um, But I'm kind of a rules studier. I'll, I'll research the rules. I'll, uh, anytime we have a new venue, I'll look at the games list and see if... Uh, Bowen Kearns has done any videos on those games. I think I've watched all of his, his tutorials pretty closely, so I do tend to be able to break down that into here's one or two things I think I can do the next time I play that game. So, Olivia, I know you like the competitions, and in fact, if I look at the women's standings, you're you know top 15 in the women's, so that means you might get a chance to go to the women's national, which is a pretty big deal. I know Tracy's been there. Is that a goal of yours? That is a goal of mine this year. Um, I mean, it really wasn't when I started playing. I just kind of got into it as a as a social thing. And, and Katie and I went to our first Spells tournament about a year and a half ago and took first and second place, which really surprised us both. Wow. I ended up taking first place in the next two as well, which surprised me quite a bit. And that's really kind of jump-started me into competing a lot more often and in more of the open events. I've just had a lot of fun with it, getting better, working on skills, and it's kind of become this sort of, maybe I'll go do this as a social thing to see, well, maybe I maybe I should see how far I can take this. So that was one of my goals for this year. I've definitely been doing a little better in women's events than open events. I'm trying to break into the top 1,000 on the uh, overall rankings. I'm around 1,400 now, so I have a bit of a hill to climb. But I need to win some things, kind of where I'm at. But it's been great fun, gives me a goal to drive for. Do either of you go to any shows or any pinball events? We get to some. Obviously, the big one here in the Valley is ZapCon, and we definitely are big players in that. And I think, what, last year we brought 12, 13 games to that, Olivia? Yeah, that sounds right. Sorry to interrupt. When is ZapCon? Uh, ZapCon tends to be end of April, beginning of May. The date fluctuates a little bit based on the convention center schedule, but yeah, it's in the Mesa Convention Center late spring. Hmm. Yeah, they'll usually be about 100 pinball machines, 150 or so arcade games. You got tournaments, uh, women's tournament, uh, open tournament, classics, uh, pretty well attended. Yeah, I'm just making a little calendar note here. You know, I'm doing this little pinball mm-hmm. profile world tour thing right now where I'm in 10 different cities okay. and four different countries. But uh, ZapCon, Arizona, early spring. Hmm, I might be able to check out a Diamondbacks game while I'm there. This is sounding pretty good for my chances to get out there in the uh, April-May time zone. Let's see. Zapcom. Hmm. Okay. For the bells and chimes, there are different chapters all over, but I know you've got some people that actually make quite the commute to get there. Well, we do, at least with our local, we have some people that come up from uh, Tucson. I think we've had some come down from Flagstaff, but I think we've had a couple. Olivia, you probably can remember the details from a bit farther. Yeah, I mean, we'll certainly have people who used to be in the Phoenix area or have other connections to people in the Phoenix area happen to be in town at the same time. While I'd say the bulk is from the Phoenix area, even sometimes that can be a commute. I mean, we traveled 60 to 70 miles to get to events that are essentially in our same major metropolitan area. Phoenix is very spread out from one end to the other. And Scottsdale Um, and everything else, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It's like going from Chandler to Peoria. You know, it could be an hour-long drive. How often does the Bells and Chimes chapter meet? So Bells has events every month. So we have a 10-event regular season, and then we'll have two events that are usually in the months that we have off. So we typically have one every month here, and then they're uh, scored in groups of two. So each is a two-event series, and then we have the overall 10 for sort of a player of the year at the end based on the finishes throughout the year. But then um, in July, we usually have, we we had our uh, event in Tucson, which wasn't considered a league event, just to try and maybe jumpstart some interest in in a Tucson chapter. And in November or December, we will do a non-league event that will be a fundraiser for Project Pinball. Last year we did a three-strike knockout, but you could buy a fourth strike with an additional donation, which everyone did. So it was a fourth-strike knockout, and uh, raised a good amount of money for uh, Project Pinball as well. I like that a lot. I've noticed in the leagues that I'm in, and just in competitions in general, people are fascinated by the nostalgia of it if they haven't seen pinball in a while, or and they love the fact that there's a league, they love that it's social, that there's some competition, there's the IFPA, there's all of these things, and you see people just kind of jump in with both feet. I imagine there are many women that have now taken this from a social once-a-month event to now, oh, I'm going to get my own machine or machines, and then just grow and grow and grow. Is that what it's like there? Because it sounds like Phoenix is a real hot. But I know when I was talking to Tracy before, the number of people in the league there, it's not too many, but it's just these hosts can't accommodate everybody. Is that what it's like with Bells and Chimes as well? Well, I mean, just our main league at Tilt Studio had our first week of the season last week, and we had 68 people wow. show up, kind of maxed out the available machines. That's definitely consideration. We've actually just rearranged our home arcade to get people in and out of the machines more quickly because it is a pretty crowded space. We'll have between 16 and 32 at a Bells event. So you do have to have a pretty good-sized collection. And we do have our players that started getting one or two machines and things like that. And you can kind of see where maybe a couple years down the road, there might be some more home venues with five, six, seven, eight. They do tend to multiply. We picked up our first machine two years ago. We've been restoring arcade video games for some time and felt like the arcade should have some pinball noises in it. And then (laughs) from about four or five months after that, we're starting to go to Bells and now we have uh, 16. Yeah, that was a a big deal for me with the we had 30 some uh, video games in our collection and we'd go to other places that had a mix of the two and I just kept telling Olivia I'm like there's something missing, you know, without hearing those pins mixed in and seeing them, it just it feels off. And so we finally you mentioned jumping in with both feet. You know, we went from zero pinballs to eight in about what, 4 months? <laughs> something You're crazy quick. like that. And, you know, we were terrified to get into them at first, just when you look at the underside of a play field, if that's, you know, not intimidating, nothing is. But we did, uh, like I said, roll up our sleeves, and next thing you knew, now we have 14, 15 pins in our collection. So, yeah, we just, we love it. And I follow on Outpost Cordelia, too, on Facebook, too. It talks about the video games and the pins. And, yeah, I lift up a play field, and I can see when a wire's off. Okay, got that. Solder. Done. Piece of cake. Finding problems when I hear about switch gaps and, you know, relays and this and that. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. What? So how did you – I'm asking really for myself. How did you learn how to fix these things? You know, I – had some, I'd taken some electrical engineering in college. Hadn't done anything with it, though. 
have some general experience with electronics and whatnot. But for me anyways, it was when I met Olivia, she already had an existing collection of about 20 arcade games. And a lot of them needed various kinds of repair. And, you know, she had done a lot of research into what they needed and had actually, like, already ordered a bunch of the parts and supplies and had all this stuff. And then when I came along, I just kind of took what she had found, the, the resources she had collected, and, you know, I guess I was maybe a little more fearless of uh, diving in, and we just started working on them. And, you know, not even probably four years ago, I had never fixed a single arcade game video or pin and within a year we were restoring monitors we were repairing the circuit board sometimes we were doing cabinet restoration and then we jumped into the pinball world and got into that you know our very first project was a williams blackout that had been horribly abused and literally someone's coffee table Oh. Yeah, they had ripped the the head off and the neck. The legs were gone. The internals were just in terrible condition. The cabinet was in terrible condition. The playfield was badly damaged. Were the three spinners even on the game? The three spinners were there, but pretty well seized up. Oh, but yeah, we um, we ended up getting that restored back to a beautiful working game. And after that, we were like, all right, we got this. We can do anything now. So it was just a progression from having some general skills in, you know, some woodworking and electronics to really learning through trial and error and through resources. You know, one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware of with arcade video games and pinball machines, when these were first made, detailed specs came with them that laid out all the circuits, all the wiring, all the part numbers for everything because it was intended for the people that bought them to maintain them themselves. So here we are 40 years later in a lot of cases and there's just this vast amount of information out there that you don't get with most electronics. And that is a huge resource. The internet has enabled people to take those and compile what they've learned about them and troubleshooting guides and all this kind of stuff. So that really was kind of the, you know, the shoulders we stood on to be able to learn how to do this. And then it was trial and error, and eventually we started getting it right. Did this lead into your creation of the rethemed Disney's Black Hole Pinball Machine? A hundred percent it did. The award-winning yeah. Black Hole Machine, yeah. I should say, because you won at ZapCon, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we actually... I believe we went in two categories, and we had to pick one. So we went with the fan favorite. We thought that sounded good. Darn right. Yeah, that was a huge labor of love. That was a big nostalgia project for me, mostly. I had seen The Black Hole when I was younger, and it had really, you know, Maximilian and those that red eye. Uh, it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Exactly. I was like, are we you know, going to bed? Like, am I going to make it to the morning, or are we going to be swallowed by a black hole? Right, you know, so as a kid, it really left a mark. And when we... Uh, had done blackout we had gained the confidence to think maybe we could do this maybe we could do a retheme you know ultimately we want to do a pure custom but you know we thought let's start with a retheme but someone's already figured out the geometry of the play field and made sure that these shots are going to work and all that kind of stuff so let's just keep an eye out for a project and we had a uh, williams phoenix fall in our lap much similar condition to the blackout, in fact, that we had gotten before. The oh, a lot worse, even. Yeah. Cabinet was in terrible shape. The play field was badly damaged. And we kind of felt like, all right, this one's probably beyond saving. 
at least without phenomenal amount of effort for an average game. So we said, this is our, this is our candidate. We just kind of took what we had learned from working on Blackout and some of the other pins in between and started looking at the movie to break down kind of how we wanted to approach it. And it was a really interesting project as we worked through it because we both agree that if either one of us had tried to do this alone, it would have been nothing like the game we came up with. You know, I had the the hardware side and the uh, kind of the spatial thinking to put the thing together and to get it to work the way we wanted to. I did a lot of the artwork and some of the electronics work. And she definitely, Olivia, helped a lot with the electronics stuff. But where she really shined was coming up with the rules. You want to talk about that, Olivia? Yeah. So, you know, we have the Phoenix playfield that has, you know, some lanes up top, a spinner pop some 10 drop targets and a little standing target on the left. So pretty simple, pretty simple layout. One of the things we did is we took that standing target that's on the left side of the uh, playfield in Phoenix and replaced it with a scoop. And that lets us hold the ball and do something. Sorry, you had a scoop there. So you drilled a, you drilled a scoop in. Yeah, so you know, we cut out a little square, mounted a scoop on the bottom. We actually had to slightly adjust one of the rails that holds the playfield up because it wasn't designed for that. So it was a little bigger piece of hardware than there was there before, but we got that to fit. And so now we can catch the ball and do something. You are so brave. <laughs> yeah, it was the scariest part of that project for me yeah. was drilling that hole and then cutting out that square. Uh, that was a no going back moment. Yeah, no and, kidding. And yeah, that was that was probably the scariest thing we did in the whole project because couldn't undo it. <laughs> that sort of let us stop the ball and convey some information to the player. So we have some modes. We've got six different modes based on events in the movies that cause you to play different parts of the play field, as long as it's sort of a wizard mode at the end where you can build a large jackpot, hit the scoop, and choose whether or not to continue building, you know, risking what you've built up or, or take what you've built and take the points. So kind of let us put a lot of complexity into an otherwise pretty simple play field. So we have modes where you have to get a certain number of pops in a certain amount of time or complete the lanes quickly or hit a sequence of shots or chase a lit drop target, that kind of stuff. So how, Olivia, do you relay the information from the modes since that's not a DMD game? It is now. It's actually, we put an LCD screen in. Wow. So it is, it's an LCD game now. We were highly inspired by Total Nuclear Annihilation. That was, in a lot of ways, kind of the benchmark we were holding ourselves to. We wanted something that had that kind of old world feel, but at the same time felt new and fresh. And so... A couple of things, you know, we decided right from the get-go were going to be a big part of it. And, you know, the one was the scoop so that we could have mode play. But the other was the inclusion of an LCD. That alone probably ended up doubling or tripling the complexity of the project, adding an LCD, because now we had to come up with a UI and we had to figure out how to integrate. You know, we have video clips from the movie that play. We have little things that pop up on the screen and pop off as events occur. And... That's probably the one part of it that we still have a lot of refinement we need to really put in is the UI and the the kind of sound callouts for the game because trying to marry the older style playfield with the newer style of modern interface for a game just really adds a lot of work and 
you have a lot more sympathy, I guess, let's say, for the Stearns of the world when you hear all the issues that may or may not occur in their games when they're released. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this UI stuff's hard. Well, here's what's amazing. You said you wanted to do something simple. We're just going to do a re-theme as opposed to a brand new pin. You made a brand new pin. You put an LCD yeah, in a scoop. With the exception of the playfield wood itself, pretty much. You know, we had we did new plastic, new art. Uh, we had a back glass design printed. We stopped to do the cabinet art. That's kind of on our checklist still. But yeah, I mean, it's essentially a new game on an old playfield. I'm very impressed. You'll be able to see some of these pictures on our Facebook page for Pinball Profile. That's pretty impressive. I mean, the bells and chimes, the outpost Cordelia, Black Hole, and now even something bigger with Zapcon. Do you want to tell us what's going on with Zapcon? Uh, yeah. So the previous coordinators of Zapcon have uh, been running the show fantastically for about seven years. It's been a big success. It's something everyone here in the Valley looks forward to. But they've got other things they want to do with their lives. And starting this year, myself and Olivia and a friend of ours, Paul Santa Cruz, are going to be taking over the reins of heading up Zapcon next year. That is amazing. You know what? I'm so impressed, and Tracy knows this too, from when I talked to her at Pinburg. People who step up like yourself can take on these big things to give pleasure to so many other people. You've got a lot on your hands, but I know with your experience, uh, Zapcon's going to be bigger and better. This is very exciting. You know, it's one of those things we felt like was a really important thing to our community, and we want to make sure that keeps going. We'll be able to find all that information on Facebook? Yep, it's on the Facebook Zapcon page. The dates, the times, it will all be published as it gets locked in. And also be on zapcon.com. I've really enjoyed talking to both you, Olivia and Katie, and I, I think it's amazing uh, what you're doing in Arizona. I'm impressed with the repairs. I'm dying to see this black hole game, so I think i got to come to Zapcon just to see that alone. All the best success to both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was great talking to you today. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find our group on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Pinball Profile. Email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I'm Jeff Teolis. Pinball Profile.